Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we check in with Derek Taylor ahead of the big Bombers-Lions game Friday night. And Jamie Bettens, our baseball friend, joins us to eulogize the Blue Jays after their season came to a sudden halt. That's coming up on the podcast. Vancouver, British Columbia, the site of the biggest game of the CFL regular season with the Blue Bombers and the Lions to more or less. It doesn't 100% decide the West, but like 90% decides the West. Derek Taylor will be there to call the action for us. And Derek, we talked a lot about how we were looking forward to the Toronto game for weeks. And then it kind of was like, meh, weird game with some guys missing. This is it, though. This is the one. This is the big game across the entire regular season. I swear this is the one. There's there's nothing barring a disaster between now and Friday. There's nothing that can really change that, right? It's teams tied on record. The winner, you know, essentially wins the West, like you were saying. It's the two leading candidates for MOP in the in the West. And honestly, they'll decide who's going to get that nomination uh, in the West Division and maybe who wins the award. Both teams are very healthy, like not perfectly healthy, but very healthy. Uh, this is this is about a good as good as it can get in the regular season. Now, in terms of rehab, we'll get to Janarian Grant in a moment, but you, uh, your knee and your voice, how are those going? So uh, the voice is better. It was totally gone on Saturday. Uh, it was uh, squeaky voice teen from the Simpsons level on Saturday, but it, it's back now. So, you know, you can still hear a little bit of the remnants of the cold, but I don't think I gave the cold to anybody. Uh, and yeah, I managed to escape the game still having some parts of it. So by Friday, I should be just full steam ahead. Uh, the knee bones, I was on the bike for 15 minutes and I didn't fall off crying. So, uh, uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's it, Christian. Don't get old, man. Whatever you do, don't, don't get old. I'll try my best at 30, <laughs> 31 and a half. We'll, we'll, we'll oh, try to stay here. Start yoga now. Start it now. Yeah. Uh, I will get on that. But, uh, in terms of blue bombers rehabbing, generic grant's been doing it for a while. He's been out three months uh, since week five. Sounds like he's going to play on Friday. I've gone over the numbers and just how bad the bomber return game has been without him. I mean, he's like the one guy that's been missing from what has been a very healthy team. And if he's back, boy, that I think the bombers are totally clicking on all cylinders then, right? Yeah. Do you, do you have those numbers handy? I'd be, I haven't looked them up myself, what uh, McCray and Parker did in his time. So what I was looking at more so was the overall, like the bombers were eighth in kick return yardage and sixth and punt return yardage with his stats included. Um, oh yeah. If you, if you look at average uh, kick return or punt return yardage since the start of the season, you got to scroll down quite a bit to find Greg McRae at 17th place and yeah. Jamal Parker in 18th place at uh, both just under nine yards per return. And then if you're looking at, at kick returns, you have to scroll down quite a bit to find Greg McRae at 19th place at 19.2. Uh, Jamal Parker at 13.2 is dead last of everybody that's returned to kick this year. Yeah, those kick numbers should be more like 25 or, or high, you know, early 20s, right? And yeah, Grant was 24.9 uh, in uh, there, 12 retur kick returns. Yeah, there you go. Um, I, I just wanted to pull it up because we had the stat uh, that Greg McRae's uh, longest return was uh, Janarian Grant's career average. That's that's curious. Uh, but McRae had a 48-yarder eventually. Jamal Parker had a 19-yarder. For his average, Janarian Grant is 13 yards per punt return. And then, I mean, BC is a team that, that knows Grant well because he slashed them, 
a couple of times last year, right? The West final, that one killed. He runs right through big Ben Hladic, like little generic Grant. Ben Hladic has two hands on his shoulders. He just powers through him, takes it off to the, the north end zone. And then week five, right, was the Titanic matchup, 4-0, 3-1. This BC's a juggernaut, opening kickoff, and Grant goes to the house. And you go, yeah, this guy's this guy's really, really got it. And then, oh, by the way, week two of this year was the play of the CFL season. We're here 16 weeks later, and I don't think there's a play that's matched his punt return against Saskatchewan. So having him back is is such a boost. Um, Parker McRae, yeah, they 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 got the job done, and coach praised them for the work they did. Janarian's a different deal, right? He's just a different weapon, and he's a he's a threat. It might only happen five times a year that he take well in a perfect world five times a year he takes one to a, to the house. But if it's if it's this one game, okay, we don't actually need any more because he helped us win the West, right? So uh, it's such a big deal to have him back. Coach O'Shea hasn't said that Janarian Grant will play, but I don't see a reason you take a guy off the six-game injured list unless you believe he's ready to go. So I have every confidence that he's on the depth chart when they put it out tomorrow. And the fact that this is the game you have to win, right? And if you're going to yeah. play him, if you're going to save him, like this is what you've been saving him for. It, yeah, exactly. So yeah, you would... If, if, if it's me and I, I might, I'd fudge a little bit like Jerry and I, you want to play and I know you're not hundred percent, but just to what Christian said, you got to go like, we got to win this one. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. Janarian talked about being like a, a lion ready to chase down a gazelle. Like he's scratching at the sand. You're like, yep, good. That's, that's what they need, but that's exactly what they need. And it doesn't fix all their special teams problems because there's still coverage stuff uh, for the bombers. But uh, I think we all feel a little better. Uh, that sense of whoa when uh, when BC has to punt. The Bombers have allowed the second most yards per return in both punts and kicks this season. How much of that is Mike Miller not being out there anymore? I think that's probably a little bit. I think I think the greater part of it is, I mean, you really changed punters this season. Like it's it's not just went from Mark Leggio to Jamison Sheehan, but you went from a conventional. With them to Jamison Sheehan and his 20 balls of magic, right? Like he's he's got all these different punts that when you if you've been to bomber practice, you see, okay, well, there's one. Okay. Oh, that one spun sideways. Okay. Well, that's a little wobbler. Okay. There's oh, that's a different sideways spin than the previous one, right? Like it's it's a totally different punt game than it was last year. It's get the ball away from the returner, get the ball on the ground, um, and, and buy yourself some time. So my my assumption is that that's what Coach O'Shea means when he says we've had to change up a coverage we've been running for a long time. Because punting is, I mean, going for, to an Aussie-style punter just has changed kind of everything with how it looks. And, and responding to that, you know, as the 11 guys going down there to make a tackle has got to be dramatically different. So that's my, that's my hypothesis because, uh, like, Mike Miller will make 20-something tackles on the, on the year. So it just, to me, it's got to be more than just, you know, the best special teams player of all time. Okay. Uh, I mean, you look at both rosters in the first two meetings this year, the Bombers were healthy in, in their first meeting with BC and that they just got run over on both sides of the line. The second meeting, Vernon Adams didn't play. Dane Evans wasn't good. And then he got hurt and Tom Davis didn't have anything as they put up 50 points. But this is really all you can ask for with two teams that are pretty much at full strength, the Lions have come in having scored 33 points at least in each of their last four games. 
how are you leaning? What are you what are you expecting to see on Friday? I mean, I I lean to I lean to Winnipeg for a couple of reasons. One, it'd be cool if they won. Uh, but two, like Winnipeg has the number one scoring offense per game, and they have the number one scoring defense per game. And as I was I was going through it in my head on the way to the coaches show yesterday, I went well quarterback where would I give the advantage okay Winnipeg running back okay it's clearly Winnipeg offensive line okay yeah probably Winnipeg receivers okay well that's close but I give the advantage to Winnipeg and there were so many it's close which made me go okay that's why this game is like a one-point spread but there there are just more of them to me tilt in favor the offense to me tilts in favor of the bombers the defense well okay linebacker defensive line close but probably Lions defensive backs close but probably Lions even if they're making changes Special teams, hmm, probably Lions, but that one's close too with how good Sergio Castillo is. And tight, it makes perfect sense that these both these teams are 11 and 4. But, I mean, I, 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 buy, a li- I buy less into, you know, been there before and they've done that than, than a lot of folks that I talk to seem to buy into it. But there's, there's certainly some of that, like Zach Kolaris and company, Adam Big Hill and company, Willie Jefferson and company been in these kind of games before and they entirely know what to expect the bc lions less so and and vernon adams less so so that's that's where i'm at but i mean like you said we saw the bombers lose by 24 and we saw them win by 175 so anything in between there in my mind is possible obviously we think this is going to be a close game it could come down to a play here or there it could be a generic grant punt return that swings things could be turnovers, which is something we've seen both teams get in trouble with in losses this year. No Demario Houston. It looks like the guy who's been crushing it with interceptions. I'd, I'd be surprised. I'm, I would always be shocked if a guy doesn't practice on day two or today is day three. If a guy doesn't practice on those days and plays, I, I'd be just stunned. So uh, I'd have every bet. It's going to be Jamal Parker and then uh, curious to see if they'll bring another American defensive back onto the roster, be it uh, Abu Dharami Soiree, who started some on the corner, or Desmond Lawrence, who started some uh, last season. So it, I'm, I'm curious if they'll do that. But uh, yeah, I just I just don't think, as much as Coach O'Shea said in the coaches show, that, that Demario looked good, that he doesn't practice today on the close practice. I just, I, I have a tough time believing that a guy like that is going to play. So here we are on October 4th. We're going to get this meeting to more or less decide the West. It's not clinched, but it's going to be really hard to not win the West if you win this game Friday. You pretty much have to lose out to to lose the West at that point. Exactly. Across the CFL, though, Saskatchewan in the third spot in the West is the only spot that hasn't been clinched yet at 6-9. and They're hosting Hamilton on Saturday. It feels weird that... The last remaining spot is in the the West instead of the East because so often, you know, we're looking at crossovers. But I just it's tough to look at the rest of the CFL other than these three teams at the top and and be inspired right now. The only one that even has my attention would be Hamilton. And I mean, they've been on a bit of a revival uh, since they switched up offensive coordinators to Scott Milanovic. And I mean, they got Matthew Schiltz back this past week, their quarterback, and now Bo Levi Mitchell's back at practice. I'm not sure I throw Bo Levi Mitchell in there based on his nine interception start to the season, but Matthew Schiltz plus Taylor Powell uh, makes that intriguing to me with the way that offense is is rolling. So 
do I believe Hamilton could, you know, with the the correct number of turnovers, like five go to Toronto and win the East final? I kind of do. It would take some sort of historical stumble by the Argos, but I, I actually have some belief that the Ticats are there are are in that group. But Sask and Montreal, I as much as I was on Montreal five weeks ago in the pregame show, I'm not I just I'm not buying it anymore. And how much of a mess is Calgary at four and eleven? You look at Saskatchewan when Trevor Harris goes out, you think they're cooked. And really they had a stretch there where they were okay, but Jake Dolagal has really kind of come back to earth the last few weeks. And Calgary hasn't been able to take advantage at all at four and eleven. They just keep losing, keep losing close games. They just kick a ton of field goals. And Jake Mayer, boy, he's going to get another chance next year, you'd think. But uh, it's bad. It's just not. It's just bad. And, and they're it, the one team that hasn't had to deal with a quarterback injury, and it, they they have no excuse. Yeah, they they've had to deal. And you're right about the quarterback injury. They have had in other spots, and then there's some of their own choosing, right? When you when you shoot yourself in the foot, is that considered an injury? Well, I mean, Calgary's could probably make that case, but like they've had nothing at at tackle, offensive tackle this season. They've dealt with some injuries. They lose their their top receiver like six minutes into the season. Malik Henry tears his Achilles. They lose James Vodders, who dominated the Bombers in that one game. They lost him to a torn bicep. You know, well, okay, well that's that's your most effect problem. They've been crippled by injuries in other spots. And then they were to some degree crippled by free agency that I, I don't know how they got in what way they got it wrong, but I can tell you that guys that left Calgary this off season are not normally the guys who leave Calgary. They don't usually lose stars in their twenties and they did this off season. So you go, okay, well, what about that? Uh, is the new offensive coordinator play caller? Did that work out? Y- young Mark Mueller getting a, getting a, a boost. Okay, well, that didn't work. But then since Dickinson took back play calling responsibilities, apparently, has it looked any better? What is, like, is this a true evaluation of Mayer? Because Kadeem Carey's also been wrong, and some of it is them doing it to themselves. I would, I would kind of, I would stick on Jake Mayer for a bit of next season, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm sort of with you that I'm, I'm almost out on that one, and time to go fishing for a new one. That's a conversation for the off season. But one thing we do know is the Blue Bombers Lions. It's going to be so good that we're going to make it a longer pregame show. 6.30 p.m. on Friday, 9 o'clock kickoff. Looking forward to it. Derek, thanks for this as always. Thank you, brother. That is Derek Taylor, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Let's talk about what happened to the Toronto Blue Jays. Our friend Jamie Bettens, who we have on all the time to talk baseball. Well, Jamie, it's over. The Jays are done. What the heck happened? Yeah, that that's that's a tough pill for Blue Jay fans to swallow, including me as as one of them. Um, I think immaturity is the thing that comes to mind right now, and inexperience. You know, the players are young; they won together in the minor leagues, along with the manager John Schneider. But in the end, the decision making that was put forth today uh, showed to me a, a lack of experience in playoff baseball and uh, a ton of immaturity running the bases and just playing the game the right way, especially when you need to win in the playoffs and every, every pitch literally counts. Disappointing, very disappointing finish for them today. Well, let's start with the offense. They get no runs today. They get just one yesterday. They had multiple runners on base and a lot of innings to start. And then really the, the pivotal moment comes, I believe it was the sixth. Matt Chapman has the bases loaded, misses a double by a foot. 
next pitch grounds into an inning-ending double play, and I don't know if they had anyone on the rest of the game. This is something, though, we saw a lot of the season, wasn't it, Jamie, where the bats just have stretches, have games where they just go away. It seemed almost as if there was a disconnect between kind of the veteran players that they had and and the younger players, and they could never – piece it together it was either you know the older guys like the Merrifields the Kiermeyers, and the Chapmans carrying the load for their part while the younger guys kind of found their way or Bichette was hot and Guerrero was swinging a hot bat and and then the rest of the guys couldn't come through the only true constant was you know really Danny Jansen and even Brandon Belt but then getting hurt and coming back you know you just didn't have those guys and I actually think Danny Jansen was the glue that held that team together. And if he would have been catching and playing, I feel like the team would have been a little bit different. But uh, good good pitching beats good hitting in the playoffs. The Jays knew that they were going to have good pitching, as evidenced by the scores. Uh, but just nothing coming through in the clutch, and, and that's absolute death in the playoffs. No runs on nine hits today for the Toronto Blue Jays. Another moment, Vlad Guerrero Jr. with a two on in the fifth gets picked off on second base to end the inning. Is that, is that fall into your immaturity category? I think so. I mean, that's a lack of experience running the bases and getting too carried away with the moment and not, uh, you know, realizing, you know, how important you are as a base runner with, you know, arguably the Jays' best hitter in Bichette up at the plate with a full count and an opportunity to even draw a walk or get, you know, bases loaded for Kevin Biggio, who's probably their hottest hitter at the plate. It just it it just reeks immaturity in my opinion, and it's very disappointing. I, I feel like you know that's been there all year long, and uh, he's a very streaky hitter. Uh, I, I enjoy watching him, but when things aren't going well, it's it's tough to stomach. All right, let's talk about the pitching because there was a controversial decision in today's game. Jose Barrios had pitched very well through the first three innings of today's game, allowed one run on or allowed nothing, I should say. And then he gives up a base runner to start the fourth. He gets pulled for Yusei Kikuchi. Ends up getting charged with a run after Kikuchi didn't really do the job. But you're putting a starter in in the fourth to alleviate a guy who had been dealing it. A lot of people online weren't really sure what was going on with this. Buck Martinez on the broadcast as well called it out immediately, and it obviously backfired. But is this just another example of like the front office calling down to the manager and saying, Hey, the numbers say this, so do this regardless of what's happening in the game already. If that's in fact the case, it's a sad day for baseball when the analytics department overrules, you know, the true judgment of the coaching staff and the wisdom that, you know, John Schneider has to his left in Pete Walker and to his right in Don Mattingly. I have to think if, Don Mattingly was at the helm that he wouldn't have allowed for that to happen or wouldn't have made that call. But a young, inexperienced manager and John Schneider probably feels he has to listen at that point and do what the boss says, so to speak. And and that's, that is by far and away the icing on the cake uh, on the Blue Jays season. That is, that was the biggest mistake that I think they've made all season long. Uh, very, very disappointing from the eye test alone he was doing just fine and he was executing pitches on left-handed hitters, right-handed hitters, and was literally cutting through their lineup, forcing them to be on the defensive as an offensive team. And to see them go to Kikuchi, who had a great season, but has an absolute history of, you know, 
trouble in the big moments. Uh, I think the morale would have shot down at that point for all of the players, and, and we got what we got there in the end by not getting any hits and any runs because of that move. So you think there was a direct correlation from the pitching change to the bats? Because one could look at the game and say, yeah, the pitching change wasn't good, but you have to score more than zero runs to win a game. I, I, I do believe it had a rippling effect. Once he was taken out, you could see the body language, and, and that's the kind of piece where I rewinded a few times, and it's not just to look at the moment, it's to look at how the other players reacted to it. You could see it was coming when he came out of the dugout. You could see the way Schneider had his head down and didn't want to do it or looked sheepish in doing it. And then you saw Matt Chapman's shoulders shrug, put his glove to his mouth. Usually when they do that, it's to hide something, but you're not hiding anything other than your emotion and maybe some bad language and and, uh, lip reading at that point. And then you saw Springer and you saw some of the other players just kind of looking at each other and questioning it. And there's no doubt when you take a blow to your morale like that, that it's hard to just get back up. And there was plenty of key moments and, you know, a runner gets on and one swing of the bat could have tied it. But to me, that just signaled the end of the playoffs right at that point for me and for the Blue Jays, I think. So back-to-back wild card exits in which they get swept last year at home by the Mariners, including that epic collapse in game two. This year they score one run in 18 innings. What do you see being the change in the offseason if there is any? What do they have to do? I think it's going to come down to, well, change will happen inevitably because of the free agent departures. And you're going to lose some very high character people in Chapman and Merrifield and uh, possibly a few others that are on one-year deals. I think Belt, Chad Green has an option as well. And all of those guys come with resumes and are high character players. If you kind of let the inmates run the asylum, which I refer to as Guerrero and and Bichette and Biggio at that point, I think you'll continue to have this pattern creep up until they develop enough playoff experience to finally say, okay, we can handle this and can do something about it. I think the, the answer may lie in moving one of those pieces to bring back something that truly changes the culture. And I don't think it's, I think the shift is now changed and this is no longer Vladdy Guerrero's team if it ever was. And it is now Bo Bichette's team. And if there was one player that I would speculate to maybe be as a surprise, you know, trade block candidate, it would be Guerrero at this point. As I just, the, the, the immaturity and the lack of approach, um, you know, has really disappointed me. And I'm sure a lot of fans to the point where maybe that's where the change needs to take place. But you think Schneider's job is safe? No, I think he'll be gone within seven days. Oh, and are they going to slide Mattingly right in there? Or are they going to look for someone? I feel like he was always going to be over Schneider's shoulder. I don't know if he wants the position or not. As as I know, there was rumblings of you know a team coming to Nashville or something like that, and I know that he's had his you know fingers on the pulse of those other things through MLB. Um, so that, you know, if he wants the job, I think it would naturally be his if the players looked like they enjoyed his style. And I think, you know, that may even help, you know, bring back a Matt Chapman or somebody like that if you can afford them. But the free agent market is so thin that I think he'll outprice himself. So um, at the very least, you know, a manager with some experience, I, if I was to, you know, choose a wild card guess, I'd say maybe someone like John Madden or 
uh, someone like that would maybe come. Joe Madden, sorry, would uh, would be a candidate or somebody with some experience that's won before because that's clearly what this group was lacking. Well, before I let you go, we normally talk about baseball as a whole. So uh, what do you think with the teams that are left now and the Blue Jays being out? Who do you who do you like to win it all? Is it as simple as the favorites or is it going to be like last year where we saw wildcard teams do damage? I think it's it's pretty wide open. I think the Twins are proving to everybody that, you know, if you have some pieces put together and, you're, and the lineup plays like a team, uh, anybody that was watching with a close eye on this Twins-Blue Jays series could just see the Twins, yeah, you're at home and, and you have some confidence, but I think it's up for grabs to a point, um, but it will be tough to get by the Atlanta Braves in the National League. I, I would probably have them right now and, and maybe even the Phillies as they seem to be hungry enough for the chip on their shoulder. In the American League, I think Baltimore is very new. Uh, Tampa just proved that you know the, all the wins in the world doesn't really make a big difference. And I think that that's absolutely wide open right now because I don't know if anybody really saw Texas getting by. I don't think they saw the Twins necessarily getting by. And then Houston just kind of limped their way to the division title and and, and so it'll be an interesting, you know, situation here. Could it be the Twins? You know, maybe. I don't know if they have enough starting pitching depth, but in the end, there'll be some surprises, but I still think Atlanta Braves will take it at this point. All right. We'll hold you to it, Jamie. Appreciate your time. We'll check in later this month. Thank you. That's Jamie Bettens, our baseball correspondent on the show, former president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League. We appreciate his insight. He clearly loves his baseball and clearly bummed but the Toronto Blue Jays, as I know a lot of people are today. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.